Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, my name's Stuart Miles and welcome to the Pocket Podcast. Sky has teamed up with Amazon to bring Amazon Prime Video to the SkyQ platform and Now TV to the Fire TV platform. But what does it mean for customers and what does it tell us about the future of home streaming? Pocket Dan Gravham is here to tell us more. Meanwhile, I caught up with Anderson EV, a company that makes smart home charging boxes for your electric car, to find out how it's hoping to make the smart home charging system very much more design focused. Ampocalyps Rick Henderson joins us to talk Cyberpunk 2077. He's been playing the new game on the various platforms it's available and brings us his verdict. Is it as buggy as everyone claims it to be and should you wait a couple more months before getting involved? But back to you, Dan. Tell us more about the Sky Amazon partnership. Yeah, so long-awaited um, Prime Video is coming to Sky Q, which um, has been sort of a missing piece in terms of Sky's uh, want to be wish to be a one-stop shop for all TV platforms. We've had Netflix and Disney Plus on the platform for a while, um, and also Now TV, which is owned by Sky, is now going to be on Fire TV devices as well. So that's quite a big move because that's been quite a holdout on both platforms, really. Um, especially from uh, Sky's perspective, and it kind of gives them more of a, a complete package. It's something it feels like they've been working towards for forever, well, since they launched Sky Q in 2016. So how much of a difference do you think that will make to Sky's subscribers? Do you think it will sign more people up? Yeah, I think it will. I mean, I mean we, we've sort of seen them try and try and make the, this sort of app side of it a lot more comprehensive. Originally, there were, Netflix has been on there for quite a while, um, but Disney Plus was was wanted by many customers this year. And so, yeah, Prime Video is sort of a missing piece. And it just means that you don't have to sort of leave the sort of Sky environment to, if, if you're a subs- Sky subscriber. Um, for example, um, I've got a Fire TV TV. Um, so I have I've had to access Prime Video through the through the TV itself rather than mm. through my, uh, my Skybox. And so it's a bit it's a it, it's sort of a bit halfway house you you know you you're sort of using two or three boxes all the time and i i guess that's that's the case for a lot of people you know having to, if 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 even if you're paying you know quite a bit of money per month to have have the sky platform so yeah it's definitely definitely something that's been needed for quite some time and i suppose if you've got the benefit here is if you've got sky q and you've got sky mini uh, in different rooms and that tv isn't smart that will then bring the Amazon Prime platform, you know, service to those televisions as well, which will be kind of quite welcomed. Definitely. And the SkyQ Mini system, you know, the former multi-room system is, you know, is is obviously well used and, um, and you know, it's, it's getting better all the time, that experience as well. Now, something that's likely to affect more people, certainly in the UK, because it's a much cheaper option, is the Fire Stick. Uh, it's like 25 quid, isn't it, normally? That will now get Now TV. How do we think that that will? I, I presume that will help Sky quite a lot on the other side as well. Yeah, I think as you as you mentioned, that's sort of a bigger deal, really, in many ways, because um, it gives people the option to sort of pick up and drop premium Sky content. 
um, often it's around sport. Um, we, we see a lot of lot of people subscribing to Now TV for sport purposes, really, um, because they might want to get the Premier League over Christmas or whatever, um, and and you know they but they don't they don't want the expense of it all the time, and so that that flexibility being on Fire TV just makes that ecosystem much more comprehensive as well in reverse, um, and. It's a, it's a, this is a pan-European deal as well, so it means that customers in other, other, other European countries that have have Sky systems, and there's there's several of them in Austria and Italy and Germany, for example, um, they will also get this as well. So that's you know it's it's a, it's a bigger deal than just the UK. Do you think that success of of streaming is going to continue, and we'll see more deals like this? And if so, which deals do you think will happen? Yeah, I think we are we are starting to see sort of gaps filled, aren't we? And certainly. Um, this was a this was a big a, a, a big gap. We we because you know it sort of seemed like Fire TV was a bit bit of a outlier, not having not having um, uh, Now TV, for example. Um, and certainly, I think uh, you know there's been there's a there's quite a few um, platforms now we've got that aren't all pretty comprehensive. I mean, you know, you look at Apple TV, for example. That's that's a very comprehensive platform. Um, and obviously, you know, Virgin have just announced their um, 360 offering, which is which is pretty comprehensive as well. So there, there, there's various things like that afoot. Um, also, you know, in recent weeks, we've seen other 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 happenings in smart TV as well. Amazon have announced that well, announced back in September they were going to um, launch a new interface for Fire TV. And that's starting to roll out now with user profiles and a, 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 an easier to use interface because, quite frankly, it's been a bit of a mess for a little while. Um, and you know we've we've also heard from Sky that they're they're launching more um, uh, UHD movies and in, in, in with HDR as well. So there's there's been there's been a uh, there's been quite a few quite a few enhancements recently, and I, I get I think that will continue next year as well. Still to come, Rick gives us his verdict on Cyberpunk 2077. Brilliantly realised, and the city is incredible, beautiful to look at. Um, you can go pretty much anywhere you want because it's massively open world. With the electric car market booming and only set to get bigger, charging at home is likely to be an important part of the experience. One company, Anderson EV, is hoping its Apple-like approach to the experience will win favour with a design-conscious audience that is happy to pay for wood panelling and a range of colours over a plastic box on the wall outside your home. I talked to the company's executive chairman, Rob Mauser, about what Anderson EV offers over the competition, just how important home charging will become, and what's in store for the future. I started by asking him to explain what Anderson EV actually does and how it's different from other home charging solutions. Okay, so we manufacture a premium EV charge point um, to allow you to charge your electric vehicle at home or your workplace. And how is that different because i know there's quite a few uh, home chargers now available on the market what kind of stands yours apart from everybody else okay well without a doubt the design elements of the anderson ev is ev charger is, is what stands apart um the vast majority of units that are in the marketplace if not all the units in the marketplace um, are a single design um a single color made of plastic um with the anderson charge point you're getting a premium charge point uh, made of metal or with a wood front panel. Um, you can have 96 color variations. You can choose your own sides. You can choose your own front. Uh, so it's it's a it's a premium product. It's designed to 
um, blend in with your your property um, and, and and look the part um, rather than just a, a plastic box on the wall. Now, one of the only things that uh, I had noticed with your design is that it includes the cable in the box, you know, on the wall, rather than allowing, rather than just requiring you to plug your own cable. What was the design's decision behind that? Okay, so I think the first thing you have to remember with a with a charge point and when you've got an electric vehicle is that you're more than likely going to plug your vehicle in every time you get home. Uh, so the, you've got a, you've got two choices in terms of your char- in terms of your charge point. You can have a, a tethered version where there's a cable attached to it, and you can have an untethered version where effectively it is just a socket. So if you think about the fact that you're going to get home at the end of every day, um, probably the first thing you're going to do is um, plug your, your electric vehicle into your charge point so you can make sure it's charged up. So if you've got an untethered unit, the first thing you're going to do is going to go in the boot um, or your or your frunk. Um, or your front boot, um, yep. depending on which side of the Atlantic you are, um, you're going to find that cable, you're going to unwind that cable, untangle that cable, plug it into your car, plug it into your charge point, um, and, and then set it charging. Equally, if you've got a, a tethered charge point with a cable, then you're going to um, grab your cable um, and plug it straight into your car. Now, that, without any shadow of a doubt, is is the quickest and most effective and simplest way um, of doing things but the problem with that is you're then left with a, a load of cable which with every other charge point manufacturer in the marketplace um, is either draped over a hook or draped um, you know um, over the unit itself um, and in fact the, the storage of the cable is almost always an afterthought right. uh, with the anderson unit the cable is is built in so the cable actually wraps around inside a slot in the unit itself um, and then very cleverly the actual um, uh, sockets um, sits in a in a housing at the top under a flap and everything is neatly tucked away um, and you know what you tend to find actually is people that that have um, uh, the tethered charge points is half the time that cable is just dumped on the floor um, and there's some other issues there as well in that um, the Anderson charge point um, has a very unique cable that's manufactured to our own specification, an EvoFlex cable. It's a very flexible cable. Um, most charge points have got very inflexible cables, um, which again just makes them difficult to use. But ours is very flexible and means that you can wrap it up and put it away. And I think the last point, which is really important as well, is that the way that the design of the Anderson A2 is made is that there are brushes with inside that slot so as you wrap the cable back in um, you're cleaning um, any dirt or grit or muck um, that's on that cable um, which is pretty important when that cable might be being dragged around your car um, and, and scratching the paintwork of your of your beautiful ev now the ev market is growing quite fast in the uk we've you know seen quite a you know an influx of electric vehicles uh, this year alone how long do you think it will be before everyone has an EV charger on their house? Uh, well, um, a lot faster than I think anybody probably um, would have anticipated. Um, we're certainly, you know, we've seen the number of EVs grow by 132% in the year to May 2020. Um, it's currently estimated that by 2025, there'll be 1 million electric vehicles on the road. Um, and it's estimated about 80% of those people will charge their vehicle um, from their home as their principal charge location. So the answer is a lot. Um, and those numbers get bigger 
quickly. Um, some, some of the reports coming out now estimate that there'll be 40 million EVs on the road by 2030 um, in Europe. So um, it's growing fast. And, and what do you think the implications of that will be? I think so. The, 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 I think the big implication is is that you'll become incredibly reliant on your charge point, and and really the the best analogy I can give you for that is that when we go to the petrol station, well, you know, I can put the question to you: When was the last time you went to the petrol station and the pump didn't work? Um, and when was the last time you switched on your light switch and the light didn't come on? Um, they're pretty fundamental things. We expect it to happen, and mm. if we expect our car to move. Um, we expect our charge point to work. So it's, you know, it's, it, it's going to be a massively important part of your home. Um, and it has to work and it has to work first time and it has to work every time. Um, you know, just in the same way that you expect your, your, your heating system or your, your central heating boiler to work every day so that you've got hot water and heat. And people are, I noticed we've already been started getting pitched ideas of, of, people renting out their charger um you know in the same way you've got you know you've got services like just park where allow you to rent your 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 forecourt space you know to be able to rent it to other people that are nearby do you do you perceive a future where we'll be renting our chargers out as well when we're not using them um i think the technology certainly exists to do that um and certainly the you know the technology that exists within um ev charge points would allow that to happen um whether it will actually happen, I think, will depend on a couple of things. One will be the, the uptake in terms of um, people installing their own charge points in their home. But secondly, also the uptake of the public charging infrastructure um, or destination charging, whether that be at your local, local supermarket um, uh, or your pub when we get to go back to them, um, or whether that be you know, at your, your council car park. Um, so perhaps in the interim, that, could, that may happen. Um, but I think my personal view um, is that um, as the uptake of charge points in homes and the uptake in infrastructure improves, um, that will probably become less necessary. Now, most home chargers are seven kilowatt limited, aren't they? And I presume that's because of the electrics within the house rather than the box that sits on the wall. Do you do you perceive that to be, to be a time where we think, you know, actually that's not fast enough, we want more, and, and therefore is that a limitation that we could overcome? It's a really good question. And there's a number of parts to that. So um, the first one is, is the battery range in terms of, um, in terms of your EV charge point. And obviously the better that the battery range gets, um, the less reliant you are on, on providing a full charge um, in your home. I think the second point is that technology will improve. Um, and although we are currently limited, or certainly if you have a single phase um, um, electricity supply into your property, then you are restricted to seven kilowatts as a maximum. Um, and in fact, some cars won't even take, take some take seven kilowatts, which is which is an important point. Um, so I think you know it's you know that that is a current restriction, but technology is moving, um, and the the use of we, we're currently reliant on AC charging when we're charging in a home. Um, technology in some of the destination charge points is now DC. Um, and that allows for a much rapid rapid charging. Um, and there's every possibility that DC charging will come to home charge points in time. So there's, there's massive technology advancements within EVs and within EV charging. Um, so, you know, 
where we are today is absolutely where we won't be tomorrow. Um, it continues to develop. And you, because I mean, that's the case. If you go to like a Tesla supercharging station, then you can sort of, you know, you can almost hear the battery in the car creak when you're putting the energy in. Do you, do you think we'll ever get to that point where that becomes commonplace within the home? Um, as I sit here today, can I say when that's going to happen? No. Um, but it's highly likely that the technology will move so that we can charge our vehicles faster at home uh, and also um, you know, at a destination, whether that be a, a car park or, or um, a supermarket. Um, so it, it will improve and it will get faster. Having said that, you, you need to remember that you can charge most EVs, even the ones with much larger batteries today, um, quite comfortably overnight. Um, and all, equally as well, um, there's, a, there's a lot of talk about what's often referred to as range anxiety uh, with electric vehicles. But you know, a range of you know a real a real sort of real term range of 200 miles is becoming very achievable in electric vehicles. Um, and that's well within the realms of a, of a seven kilowatt charger being able to charge your car overnight. Um, and the reality is, is that most, most of the time we're not driving 200 miles every day. So I think there's, a, there's, there's perhaps a little bit of a hang up over range anxiety and the length of time uh, a vehicle takes to charge. What actually needs to happen is, is that the technology needs to get much cleverer in terms of understanding um, how much charge you need and how much battery capacity you need. Um, so again, I think technology will be the savior in terms of um, how we cope with, you know, with the need to charge. And that kind of leads me on to my final question, which is, what do you see the future of the home charger being in, in sort of perhaps more near term? You know, obviously, we've at the moment, they charge your car. There's, I know Anderson offers the, the ability to connect to solar panels, or to have other things, you know, what kind of technologies do you see that in the near term will benefit those that, that choose to, to charge at home? Okay, well, I think the, the first point is one that I made earlier, which is it should just work. You know, when you plug your car into your charger, you expect it to work just in the same way as you expect the light to come on when you turn on the light switch. And it sounds a small point, but it's really, really important. And if you rely on your car charging via electricity, then it's it's massively important. I think what will change in, in the near term and is, and is already changing is, um, is, as you say, making use of um, local generation, whether that be solar panels or whether it might be that you've got battery storage in your home. You want to be able to make use of that low cost energy. Um, and I think secondly, um, we see certainly from our customers that, that, that there's a desire to charge your car um, and use and consume electricity um, in a green way. Um, and equally, there's a desire to charge your car in a cost effective way. Um, and there's huge advancements in the energy industry at the moment in terms of the type of tariff that you have um, and whether that tariff is, is a green energy tariff and whether you're charging your car um, in a sustainable way. But equally as well, there's huge changes in terms of how your electricity tariff is delivered to you. So there are already tariffs out there that are that are EV specific that allow you to charge your car very cheaply um, at certain times of the um, day, when in fact, in usually the night. Um, so there's, there's going to be a, a revolution, really, in the way that we buy electricity and consume electricity. Um, and so the charge point manufacturers um, need to make sure that their technology can cope with that. And, um, you know, that's where needing a, a you know, a, a technology-led 
um, device and a, and a, and a well-built charge point that, that can be updated over the air is, is really important. Cyberpunk 2077 is the most eagerly anticipated game of 2020, not least because it suffered many delays throughout the year. However, while the game might have finally appeared after the launch of the next-gen consoles, it turns out it's not quite ready for them. So is it as bad as they say it is, or can you get around with the bugs many are reporting? Rick has been playing the new game and is here to tell us more. So Rick, is it any good? Well, um, <laughs> that's an open question, really. Hmm. Um, uh, it depends what platform you play it on. And this is this is the big problem. If you look at Twitter, if you look at any social media platforms, and even look at uh, CG, the developer CD Projekt Red's own comments, you will see that uh, Cyberpunk 2077 is both riddled with bugs and also runs very differently in terms of performance on different platforms. Um, the upshot is, is if you own a PC and a good high-end PC with ray tracing and all those capabilities, you are getting a fantastic performance. It, so, yeah. so let's just rewind slightly, just for those who have been under a rock for most of this year. This is one of the biggest games of the year, and you play Keanu Reeves or you get to talk to Keanu Reeves? Right. We'll go back to the beginning and say that Cyberpunk 2077 is a fantastic big game, right? It's a massive game. We've been all been waiting for it for more than a year. We've been waiting for it for seven years, it was announced. Um, Keanu Reeves is in it. He is, he is a, um, uh, here's a significant spoiler alert, but he is, uh, it, but it happens quite early in the game. He, he is a ghost kind of virtual character that lives in your right. head after right. a mission goes wrong that's very uh, fight club isn't it yeah and he keeps appearing in in the real world um to uh both berate you and also help you um right. he's in it all the way through pretty much um he, and uh and those bits are fantastic and in fact the missions and the story and the character character generation and the role-playing elements and the first-person shooter elements, they're all great. This is this is a very, very good game. However, it is hidden under a litany of performance issues and bugs. Right. Yeah. And so what's so let's before we get to the bugs. Yeah. What's really cool about it? What's like what is it is it open I presume open world, you're running around solving crimes, yeah. doing stuff. All that it, kind of, is that it, good? Does that work, or is it, does it lack focus? No, it's fantastic in that respect. The game is uh, set in the kind of near to far future, very Blade Runner esque. Um, it's called Cyberpunk, so that's you know if you've ever read the books of William Gibson, that's what you can kind of expect. It's all about um, your character living in a very Judge Dredd style mega city uh, called Night City, where uh, everybody lives in these giant tower blocks. Um, and jacks into computers physically rather than just tapping on a keyboard. Um, it's uh, it's brilliantly realised, and the city is incredible, beautiful to look at. Um, you can go pretty much anywhere you want because it's massively open world. Um, the missions generally involve you going and shooting people in the face, um, but it's okay. it's a huge game. And it's very adult. That's the other thing I must must thing this is by the same developer as the witcher 3 and if you remember in the witcher 3 there was nudity quite a lot of violence well this right. takes that to the next step i mean it really is very adult indeed and i wouldn't let a child anywhere near this game 
myself uh, because okay. because the themes that is swearing throughout. I mean, it's really you can switch nudity off, but that's only half the half the battle. So right. so I wouldn't. I, I mean, for me, I'm I'm absolutely fine with it. I love it. Um, but uh, but yeah, I wouldn't let a child go anywhere near it. However, the game is has a great story it's beautifully realized the 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 idea and the theme is superb um there's no doubt about that and on that alone i would give it five out of five however it has these problems and so those problems do they at the moment do they affect the gameplay yes they absolutely do okay. the, the problem the problem with the game is it is manifestly suited to very high-end pcs the next generation console version isn't quite available yet, although the it does play in backwards compatibility on those consoles and in some weird ways actually has some next gen features for Xbox Series X specifically. So right. it runs much better on Xbox Series X than actually any other console, but it's still not perfect because they're um uh, cd project red have already said that they're going to be publishing different um patches and fixes throughout december january and february to try and fix the game now it's it's basically what they did is they delayed it they delayed it they delayed it they couldn't delay it any longer but they should have right because i know there was a thing that wasn't there last month there was a case of it was the bug fixes were taking longer than they expected and therefore it was delayed until december but i suppose then you miss the launch of the playstation 5 and the xbox series x and you miss the christmas and then it kind of nobody really wants to buy a new game in january without so, a shadow of a doubt i mean this that was that was the reason they pushed it out and and in fact if you look at the pre-orders alone they may um, they had 8 million pre-orders Wow. That they had to serve. And those pre-orders, a lot of them were made thinking it would be out in November, let alone December. So if you'd kept delaying it, those pre-orders may have either vanished or certainly got annoyed. And this is this is the dichotomy for uh, CD Projekt Red in the fact that people would, would have got hugely annoyed if it was delayed again, but are now hugely annoyed that it's come out yeah, that not finished. So that's a difficult one. So the feeling I get from you talking now is that it's a brilliant game. It's just it's just it's kind of got two hands tied behind its back in a cufflink, thrown in a watertight safe, and then chucked at the bottom of the ocean. Within without a shadow of a doubt. <laughs> and I think I think the easiest way to put this is if you own a high end PC or an Xbox Series X, even an Xbox Series S, it plays quite well on. PS Five crashes a lot, so I'm I'm not going to go down that road. Right. Um, uh, then it's well worth buying. And in fact, I've heard, I haven't seen it yet, but I've heard that the Stadia version is also superb. It's more like the PC version than the console version. However, if you own a base PS4 or Xbox One, um, that's not the PS4 Pro or the Xbox One right. X, which are passable, but if it's a base PS4 or an Xbox One, say Xbox One S, do not buy this game. <laughs> absolutely do not buy this game you'll be wasting your money and in fact cd project red are encouraging refunds that's right. how bad it runs on on those and the reason why it runs really badly is it cannot cope with the frame rates so at times you're getting uh, if you consider your tv refreshes at a minimum of 30 frames per second possibly more the game at times runs at 17 frames per second wow. you know, yeah it's almost unplayable yeah, yeah, that's, that's super lag, isn't it? And all the yeah. other stuff. So, okay, so if you've, and is that likely to get better though? 
Yes. Well, that's. I don't know about the frame rate. Like, I would sure. hope that the frame rate gets better. I mean, we yeah. are talking about a supreme game, a very highly ambitious game running on consoles. That it really isn't designed for. So um, whether they manage to fix the frame rate, I don't know, but I really hope so. What they have done is they promised to improve performance, but I doubt you'll see that until February. Right. So it might be worth holding off. And if you um, are buying the PS5, buying it for a PS5 or an Xbox Series X S, you will get a decent experience, certainly once the new range of fixes and patches come out. But don't expect next generation quality. That probably won't even be around until next summer. Wow. So it doesn't seem like a great kind of story then in the end for no, Cyberpunk, the um, game that we've been waiting for. Unfortunately, if you look at the history of people like Naughty Dog and Rockstar with Last of Us and, um, uh, and the Uncharted games and GTA and Red Dead Redemption 2, respectively, they both delay the games and everybody gets really upset, but they make sure that they're ready by the time they do it and they won't release them a moment sooner. Yeah. regardless of how much pre-ordering, regardless of all the money, regardless of the hype, they will not release those games until they are ready. And really, honestly, if CD Projekt Red wants to play in the same arena, because it's got the properties, it's got the games that are good enough, they they have to keep delaying it until it is genuinely ready. And then all of this wouldn't have been a problem. Well, that's it for this week's show. Thanks for listening. So we're going to take a small break now until the new year. So until next time, Pip hip, a Merry Christmas. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.